Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Well, it was on this exact day, February 13, 2011, that Epic Church was launched in the heart of downtown San Francisco. And you guys know Will is the emotional preacher, normally. But I cannot help but be moved by what we've seen these 11 years. What God created from nothing, the provision How does the church get stronger two years after a pandemic? Walking here from where we parked at 7 a.m. with three of my kids who were at the time three and five and one was on the other side of the world already and now they're all serving today. And what God's provided for us as a church, spaces and leaders and community, I just need you to know my heart is full. And it has not been easy, but it's so worth it. So worth it. So thank you for who you are. If you're here day one or you've been here from day one, it's fun to get texts from people yesterday. And literally, they've been here from day one. The privilege that Sean and I have had to be in this together, the way our kids have grown up and, you know, like the show up and the oldest is in first grade and he's now down to three and a half months of high school and I don't even know what happens in 11 years, but a lot, a lot. The team that I get to have the privilege of leading this church with, you need to know that um, we find it's rare as we go around the country and meet with lots of other church staff, it's rare the depth of friendship that we have. The two people that were just on the stage along with Seth, I mean, the four of us and our families were around a dinner table pretty much every Sunday night together because we don't have to. It's not a part of the job requirement. I mean, you get a raise if you say, but this is what, that's what, what's, what's present in our relationship. And uh, yeah, I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you're here. What a ride it has been. And you need to know, with all my heart, I still believe that the best is in front of us. The day that I don't, I will ask someone else to come and lead it. Promise. Promise. As a society, we have become obsessed with enough, haven't we? Now, what's interesting is that you and I have a different definition for how much is enough, but we're all after enough. We're after enough money. We want enough money to live on. We want enough in savings for an emergency. We want enough to send our kids to college. We want enough money in our retirement account. We want enough money to buy a home. I know that's why some of you are no longer in San Francisco. You're watching this service from Dallas. or Indiana, or Florida, or wherever it is that you might be watching this. But we want enough space in our home. We want enough space to live in. We want enough space to store our valuables. We want enough space to host our friends. We just want to have enough. And we also want enough accomplishments, don't we? 
We need enough accomplishments to get the job. We need enough accomplishments to get promoted. We need enough accomplishments so that the people who matter to us think that we are enough. But let me ask you this. What do you do when you realize you don't have enough? What do you do? Because we all do something a little bit different, even if there's overlap. What do you do when you realize you don't have enough? Do you just give up in despair? Do you live with a scarcity mindset and try to hold on to the little that you do have so tightly? Here's one most of us have done at some point in time. Do you just blame God? Or do you live the life the rest of your life with so much bitterness and jealousy over everyone who has anything more than what you have? What do you do when you don't have enough? And is there another path forward? Is there another way to work that out? Do we have any options besides those four responses and other responses that are like those four? Here's a question I want to ask. What if not having enough is a pathway to the life we were created to live rather than an obstacle to our ideal life. Like, Ben, that can't be possible. Why in the world? What if not having enough? So I want you to think about what you lack, okay? I want you to think about what you lack. And some of you are like, oh, Ben, that's a long list. That's fine. If you lack money, that's one of your things. If you lack the relationship you want, that's one of your things. If you lack the job you want or the position within the company that you're working at, that's one. Like, what is it that you lack And what if you not having enough isn't to make your life miserable? What if it's to open up something in your life that's actually the life you were created to live? For many of us, we love talking about faith, but a lot of us don't actually want to exercise that faith. But the problem, friends, is this. Without faith, the scriptures teach us that it's impossible to, you can't please God. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, oh man, I'd rather kind of not have to have to exercise that faith and miss out on pleasing God than have to exercise it if that's what's required to please God. Because here's what you have to know. The only way faith can exist is when there's a gap between what you have and what's needed for the thing you're being called to do. It doesn't exist elsewhere. We can call it faith, but if you have everything you need to do what God's called you to do this week or for our church to do what God's called us to do this year or for the last 11, then we don't need faith because we've got it by sight. But I don't know about you, but the scripture keeps challenging me. Ben, live by faith, not by sight. Trust me for more than what you can see with these eyes. Anybody else? And it's challenging. It's just so challenging. I'm calling today's message more than enough. And I believe God wants to speak to you today. I believe God has a word. I hope you hear it from me, but more than that, I hope you hear it from the spirit of God and from the word of God because he wants to speak into your life. Every one of us defines enough differently, but today he wants to show you that he's not only enough for the thing that you lack, he's more than enough for the thing that you lack today. In Mark's gospel, we see two miraculous feedings. In Mark 6, you have the feeding of the 5,000, and in Mark chapter 8, you have the feeding of the 4,000. There are some similarities. I'm mostly going to camp out in the feeding of the 5,000. And by the way, that's only 5,000 men. It doesn't include the women or the children. So be thinking around 15 to 20,000 people or so when we walk into this scene in the scripture in just a moment. But I'll throw in a thing or two here from Mark chapter 8 as well, the feeding of the 4,000. This is pretty crazy. Aside from the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four gospel writers include. That's crazy, huh? Outside of the resurrection, they all tell that story. Outside of the resurrection, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four gospel writers include. So think about this. 
While Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do not contain 100% of the same content, they all knew this. We've got to tell that one. We've, we've got to tell that one. So we need to be asking ourselves this question. What made this moment so important that none of them could leave it out? We're in Mark chapter 6, verses 35 through 44. I want to ask you to stand in this nearly full room And let's just be asking ourselves, what do I do when I realize there's not enough? But also ask the secondary question. So here's where I'm at today with that question. But secondary question is this. Is there something different that God wants me to do when there's not enough? Anybody willing to just move towards a different answer if question two gives us a different response than question one? If there's something different between how I've been doing it to how God wants me to do it, I think there is for most of us, and here's a great word for us. Verse 35, Mark 6. By this time it was late in the day, so his, Jesus' disciples, came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So they've scoured 15 to 20,000 people. It just reminds you, take lunch tomorrow. You just don't know how long that meeting's going to go. Or just believe that Jesus can do this again. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And every management person out there is like, thank you, Jesus. Sometimes it's wisdom of management. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. You may be seated. More than enough. So what you have here is a hungry crowd in a remote place. And the reason they are in a remote place is because Jesus has sought to remove his disciples from the crowd of all groups to get them away so they'll have time to eat and time to rest. So picture this. They're leaving the place where all the activity is happening, and Jesus is taking his disciples on retreat to a remote place place. On three, I just want you to tell me, you can do this at home in the chat. On three, just tell me your favorite remote place within two hours of where we sit today. Ready? One, two, three. The beach? Yontville? Where else? Carmel. Okay. How many of you are going south? Just like your place is south. Just keep your hands up so people know where to ask for recommendations. How many of you are going east? How many of you are going north? I don't know where the rest of you are going. (laughs) They're like, Ben, Hawaii's to the west. But you can't get there in two hours. Otherwise, you can only imagine how many people would be absent from Epic on Sundays. I mean, it's bad enough with the Hawaii. Anyway, so he gets them away to this remote place. Now, that phrase, a remote place, it can also be translated as wilderness, desert, or desolate place. He's getting them away so that they can be away. Like, that's the whole point of it. But when they get there, they see people. Now, for every Jew present in this crowd, this scene undoubtedly would have reminded them of a significant story from their own history. 
You see, when these boys and girls, who are now men and women in this crowd, when they were growing up as Jews, their parents would have, and their rabbi would have instructed them about this moment in time where their ancestors, their people, were enslaved under the ruler Pharaoh for four centuries. And they would have recalled in this moment that story. In that story, you know, God uses his servant leader Moses. They go, they free the, he goes and frees the people. They begin their journey towards the promised land. But there's this time where they end up in the desert. And while they're in the desert, they begin to complain and to groan about not having enough food. They're, they're saying, we're going to starve to death. We should have just stayed back in Egypt. And right there, as they thought they were going to starve to death, seemingly out of nowhere, God shows up and begins to provide something called manna. It literally means, what is it? Anybody ever had that meal before? And here's what God says to them. I want you to pay attention to the word he uses way back before this moment, but they're recalling surely this moment when God said to them, every day go and collect manna and get as much as you need. In other words, make sure that you get e. Make sure you get enough because I've got more than enough for you. When Jesus lands, he doesn't get upset. I taught on that a couple of weeks ago. He has compassion on the crowd. His heart goes out to them. He realizes that they are like sheep without a shepherd. He's moved by their spiritual needs and by their physical needs. And here's what you need to know today. Whatever's been true in your life up to this point, however you have been just sidelined by everything of the last two years, here's what you need to know today. Jesus is compassionate towards us and our needs. He's compassionate. He's not primarily judging you today. He's not causing condemnation. He came to do the opposite of that. He's compassionate towards you and towards your needs. But what I love in this passage, if you just hear me say that, you're like, okay, so in this group, Jesus is the only compassionate one. But notice this. It's not Jesus' idea to make sure the crowd gets something to eat first, is it? Guys, the disciples are compassionate. Jesus wants us to have his compassion for others. But oftentimes, he wants to distribute his compassion and his provision in a way that doesn't make sense according to our common sense. So the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, let's send everybody home so they can go to the villages so they can get enough food to eat. And then Jesus' response is absurd. It is crazy. It is nearly impossible. Jesus says, okay, I hear your idea, but here's what I want to say to you. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Jesus doesn't even say, hey, just go join the crowd and watch me work my magic. Just go sit in your own group of 50 and 100 with a different group of men and women and their kids and just watch me do my thing. Don't you love this? Here's what you got to know. Jesus wants to involve you in what he's providing for others. Jesus wants to involve you in what he's providing for others. I mean, guys, he could lead this church so much better by himself than if he used me. But he's saying, Ben, I want you to do something here. And he's asking you and I to be involved in what he's doing for other people. See, we're all about God. You've got to play your part. But then God's all about to us. Hey, I need you to play your part. He's telling us constantly, I'll do the heavy lifting, but I need you to bring what I've given to you. I need you to answer this question. Are you bringing what he's given to you or are you just holding it tightly? 
So the disciples say to Jesus upon this, they're like, do you want us really to give more than half a year's wages to go and buy bread and then come back and distribute to all these people? So think about the disciples and the whole not enough mindset that a lot of you are living with, a lot of us can be tempted to live with today. First, the disciples are like, we don't have enough food. Now they're like, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food and we don't have enough money. And I love this in um, Mark chapter 8, verse 4, from the feeding of the 4,000, look at the thing that the disciples respond with. His disciples, similar setting, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? You should be shocked. Think about this. They're looking into the eyes of a man who said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And they're like, where can anyone get enough? And I think about us. You know what I think sometimes? We end up with such a gap between what we have and what's needed that it's almost like we're saying, God, this is something that not even you can handle. And I keep going back to Genesis 18, 14. When he talks to Abraham, he's like, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything for you in your life, no matter how desperate you are, no matter how much lack there is, no matter how big the space is between what you have today and what you need before the end of this year, would you be willing to hear God and believe him when he says, there's nothing impossible for me? There's nothing impossible for me. Now, Jesus begins to show us a pattern for what we do when we don't have enough. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a situation where you don't have enough anything. Every hand should be up. So you need to take some notes here because there's going to be another day. I don't care how successful, wealthy you are. There's going to be a day where you don't have enough. It might not be money. It might be something else. Jesus gives us a pattern. Here's the first thing that he asked the disciples in both instances. What do you have in your hands? Yes, we have a God who created the world out of absolutely nothing. But oftentimes when he wants to do something miraculous in our lives, he wants to start with what we have. Here's the principle. Jesus wants to start with what you have, not with what you do not have. So church, can we just stop doing the thing we do so often where we're like, oh, I feel shame, I feel less than, I feel guilty because of what I do not possess. Listen, you don't possess it all, but let's shift your mindset a little bit. We're always in the not enough category. I don't have enough to stay in San Francisco. I don't have enough to get this job. I don't have enough for this season of parenting. I don't have enough to be a leader at Epic. That might be true, but church, you have access to more than you have. You have more at your disposal than just what you bring to the table. And we're going, I don't have enough. I love this from Henry Nouwen in his book, Following Jesus. He says, Jesus calls us to move away from a world of scarcity and from a way of thinking about scarcity to a world of abundance and to a way of thinking about abundance. It might be true that you don't have enough, but some of you've got to shift your mindset. There's more than enough available. You are a citizen in your father's world. Everything belongs to him. Everything. Now, it is not saying that whatever you don't need to do God's work, he's going to give you just what you want. It is simply saying, if I call you to it, I'm going to see you through it. We're going, but I don't know. We don't have enough. Jesus doesn't need you to have it all, but he needs you to start with what you have in your hands. What gifts do you have? What experience do you have? What wisdom do you have? What network do you have? What money do you have? What do you have? 
And what, sometimes we're like, oh, when I'm starting out, this is, I've got to do the faith thing. No, when you have more in your hands, he's still going to call you beyond what's in your hands. Some of you are making more money than you ever imagined. He's still going to cause you to exercise faith, so figure out where that is. The gap still keeps growing so that we can keep trusting. Our church today has way more in our hands today. Can we just be honest about that? Way more in our hands today. Like, Ben, didn't we just, did you guys just come up with this? Like, isn't this how it started? No, 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 there wasn't so much in our hands. But it's easy to play it safe because now we got a lot in our hands. We can't play it safe, church. We cannot keep playing it safe. Jesus wants to multiply what we have, but only if we put it into his hands. Jesus wants to multiply what we have, but only if we actually put it into his hand. So think about the parable of the talents. If you're not familiar, Matthew 25, a great place just to spend some time. In this parable, Jesus tells a story, and he says that this master gave three individuals three different amounts of wealth. To the first, he gave five talents. To the second one, he gave two. To the third, he gave just one talent. The one who was given five, he went and invested and worked and invested that five, and his five became ten. The one who was given two went and invested those two, and his two became four. The one who was given one had such a scarcity response that he hid the one he had, and he ended up losing that one. God can do anything he wants to, but guys, he wants to partner with you. And as I think about how the one with five doubled, the one with two doubled, the one who had one didn't even keep his one. He went from one to zero. And I think about sometimes Jesus has set it up so that he's only going to multiply something if we put it into his hands. Do you agree with this? So here's what I've got to ask you. We're going back to first grade or second grade, okay? Who thinks they're a math whiz? No, no, everybody's going to get this one, okay? We're going elementary. Everybody listen. Honor, you ready? Here we go. Any number times zero equals? So two times zero? A hundred times zero? A thousand times zero? A billion times zero? If Jesus has set it up so that he's only going to multiply what you put in his hands, it doesn't matter if he has a trillion of whatever you think he needs. If you bring your zero, what if he's saying you got zero? I know this is messing with your theology. I'm good with that. He did not say to his disciples, hey, I don't want anything from anyone here. He said to his disciples, what do we have? What do you have? What do you have? Jesus always wants to do more than you can make happen by yourself. Jesus always wants to do more than you can make happen by yourself. My good friend Mark Batterson, who has sold well over a million books, he pastors National Community Church in our nation's capital, he always says this, and I love this. He says, in our personal lives and in our churches, we all need vision beyond our current resources. We, so, so you need to ask that about your own life. Okay, I've got, because guys, here's the thing. If your current level of resources matches your current vision, you don't have vision. You have what everyone in the world has. This is what I'm called to do. I already have it. We're good. What you never have in that moment is faith. God is calling someone right now, I believe by the Holy Spirit, in this moment. Step into a vision that you don't know how you can make it happen. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a relationship. I don't know if it's a purchase. I don't know if it's a career. Is that you? Right now, if you're, I don't know, maybe you're at home. Right now, is God calling you to step into something that you continue to tell him, I don't have it, I don't have it, I don't have it? Whoever you are, step out in faith. Help me understand the part about everybody getting fed, satisfied, and still having basketfuls left over. What's the point of stale bread? Here's the point. Jesus wants everyone there to know, and he wants everyone here to know, that Jesus isn't only enough, he's way more than enough. And Jesus doesn't oftentimes provide just enough, though awesome. He provides way more than enough for most of us, most of the time. But don't you love what Jesus does? Jesus does the miracle, massive provision, and he could just make it happen for everyone there. But what does he do? He says to his disciples what he wants to say to you, go be a distributor of my provision. I've given to you so that you can give to everyone else. You're like, Ben, what does that mean? It means we're still on this mission. We are still distributors of his provision. You're like, Ben, how do I do that? Listen, church. Every time you pray, you're distributing his vision to others. Every time you serve, it's happening right now, and all, what happened, all, it's happened from day one here. Every time we serve, we're distributing his provision. Every time you give, you're distributing his provision to others. Be a distributor of his provision. Anybody know what it's like to be called by Jesus to do something, and you don't have enough to do it? I sure do. I was preaching to a large church that I was on staff at. And we were going through Esther's story in November of 2008. And I was challenging that congregation. You know how the message is always for everyone else but you, right? I was challenging about a 1,000 people in that morning. Guys, look at Esther's story. She could have played it safe, but instead she had to go do the risky thing. Don't choose the easy way. I'm just saying, like, I'm just preaching my heart out. And then the Spirit of God began to say to me, Ben, what about you? Sure, you're 31 years old. You're a teaching pastor at this mega church. It's things, you're, you're good. You've got a neighborhood pool. I mean, who doesn't want a neighborhood pool? Why did we leave? No, no, the cold beach is better than a neighborhood pool. And I haven't done it perfectly, but best I know how. I didn't go scarcity mindset. Jesus, I don't have enough to plant a church, but I have some things in my hands. I have a couple of gifts that you've given to me. I have a network of people who might want to help us. I've got friends that if we're going to do this, maybe they will say yes. I've got a wife who's committed to the mission. But there's a lot we don't have. We've never lived in a city like this. We've never had to raise over a million dollars. We've never had to build a team from scratch. I've never been a lead pastor before. I don't have all that. 
but you're enough. And he has been enough. You guys, I think the whole point of this is like, you're, too, you're, like, you're like, Ben, give me something practical. Here are the two practical things. Every day, start every single day. Jesus, here's what I have in my hands, and you can have it. Here's my gifts, my wisdom. And what happens is things in your hand, they grow. But they're still never going to be enough to do what he's calling you to do. So, uh, Jesus, every day, I give you what's in my hands, but I'm also giving you faith that you will close the gap between what's in my hands and what's needed for the thing that you're calling me to. i got to ask you a question. Aren't you tired of only pursuing things that you can make happen on your own? I know that's what culture is yelling at us out there. I want to tell you to forget that. I want to be engaged in living a life and leading a movement where if God doesn't show up, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't want what I can give. And guys, I have, we, we've done some things. Maybe I've become a better leader, a better teacher. Maybe we are getting to coach leaders. I love all of that, and I'm here for it, but I want to do more than what I can do by myself. And then when I take what's in my hands and you take what's in your hands, and now we bring it to this church community, look around. Look around. What could happen? You think God put an incredibly gifted songwriter and worship leader here in downtown San Francisco because he wanted things just to stay the same? You think he put you in this city, whatever reason you think you're here, because he just wants our church to do what we've always done? No, he's got more in mind. And guys, we've been doing this faithfully for 11 years. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Let me tell you what Jesus has built. He has built a church community that is strong. He's built a church community that is healthy. I'm probably most proud of that word. He has built a church community that is resilient. He's built a church community that is united. He has built a church community that is significant and that is influential and that feels more like a family than many of us have ever been in a family with. But because Jesus is more than enough, I believe there's more to come. There's more to come. There's more worship to come. There's more reaching the next generation to come. There's more impact to come. There's more callings to come. There's more healing to come. There's more reconciliation to come. There's just more to come. And guys, we've been distributing his provision from day one. From day one, let me tell you what we've been doing from from day one through these all 11 years. We have been feeding children who won't have a meal if we don't partner with organizations to feed them. We have been helping foster children gain families. We've been helping women find dignity. We've been making sure justice could be served more than it was before this church showed up. We've been giving kids down the hall a safe environment where they can understand that there is a God and he has a purpose for their lives. We are giving students in middle school and high school and college a place to belong to each other and belong to Jesus. Marriages have happened because of this church. Raise your hand. Come on. Excellent. Excellent. And marriages have been saved because of this church. Men and women have been finding their God-given calling and stepping into that and realizing that Monday through Friday is just as important to God as anything we'll ever do on a Sunday. Hundreds of people have said yes to placing their faith in Jesus and have been baptized, and we're doing that again next week. And some of you, it's time. Let's go. And thousands upon thousands of people have found home here over these 11 years. I'm so grateful for what has been, but you need to know from your pastor, I am as thrilled and excited and expectant for what's ahead. Anybody else? I really think when we hear something like we've heard today, it really demands a response. And so I want to give you three possible responses, and worship team, you can go ahead and come up. I'm going to go for another five minutes, so time it however you need to. 
There's freedom in this place. first response I think would be today some of you have realized you've been trying to make yourself more than enough to somehow appease God and what you heard today is you'll never be enough but you don't have to be enough because Jesus who came to give his life for your life he's more than enough so he went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to make it on your own so that you wouldn't have to pay your own way in and today is the day for some of you to place your faith in Jesus and give your life to him please do that today do not delay Others of you, it's time to declare that as we do baptisms next Sunday. You you, you know if you can't display your faith in here, how will you ever display it out there? Second group of people, though, and maybe this altar space would just be for you to kind of recommit yourself to what I'm about to say, and it's this. Some of us, and I'm going to say this as compassionately as I can, some of us have become so self-absorbed, especially over the last couple of years. And again, Jesus is compassionate towards us, but some of us have taken our lives and what we have in our hands, and we have pulled it back like this. And it's time to let go of that grip. It's time to open your hands again. God did not leave his throne during this pandemic. He did not take away your calling during this pandemic. He is calling you to say, okay, God, in a new and fresh way today, whatever's in my hands, you can have. You can have my time, you can have my relationships, you can have my family, you can have my work, you can have my money, you can have it all. And he will, he will, always, he will always meet that genuine request with grace and provision and power. And then thirdly, I just want to call a group of us to say, hey, could we dedicate the future of this church just once again? For God to provide the property we need, for God to bring the new people that he wants, for God to raise the leaders, for God to help children grow up in this crazy time in a little bit of a crazy place and still have Jesus as their true north. Don't you want that, church? Don't you want more empty nesters who have raised kids here or elsewhere to come here and realize, no, 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 I'm in my 60s, I'm in my 70s, I still got a lot to offer, I'm going to jump into this church and do so. We need you. Don't you want to see young adults who are in college or just out of college, they move here, they, they find faith or they refine faith, and they realize God has a call in their life. I want to pray that in. I don't want to assume it. There's so much between what I know we have today and what I think God is calling us to. And I want to end with John's version, just for two verses of this story. Sometimes we think Jesus is so serious that we can't see his humor. So could we just let Jesus lighten up a little bit? Here's John's rendition of the feeding of the 5,000, John 6, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, I love this. He said to Philip, hey man, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Phil, I mean, don't you love this? Jesus did this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He's testing us, but it's not for our suffering. It's not for our bad. It's not to put the pressure on us. He's testing us, but church, be encouraged. He already has in mind what he's going to do. He knows what he wants to bring into your life and in and through this church. He is on board with this plan. Will we be? Amen. I'm grateful I'm not alone. Are you going to opt in? 
Are you going to, when you don't have enough, go, well, what do, what do I have? Church, let's stop doing this. When God gives us a blessing, let's stop saying, I only have, I only have, I can only do this, I can just do. No, no, no. God, this is what you've given me as I understand it. I'm going to come in with this. You can have it. The world can have it that you're calling me to. But then with this hand, I'm going to say, I trust you to fill the gap between what I have and what you want me to do. I feel like I could just keep preaching. My heart is on fire. I cannot wait to see what God unlocks in this church, for this church, through this church. Let's go ahead and stand as we invite God's spirit as we respond. Again, this altar is open. I don't know what your response might be. But Holy Spirit, thank you for the ways that you've spoken. I pray that we would not turn a deaf ear to you. I pray that we would offer ourselves first just individually. Just so you're asking us, what do you have in your hands? It's not about more than her or less than him. It's about what do I have? What do I have in this season? And then would we just say, yes, we'll we'll use what we have. And then we'll trust you. We'll trust you to do what we can't do on our own. But, oh, God, for 11 years, we have not been on our own. And we are not on our own now. So would you receive our worship? We want to dedicate ourselves to you as individuals and as a church. It is such a gift. It's such a gift that you would allow us to be a part of this movement. But we're asking for more. And we can because you are always more than enough. Let's respond. This altar is open. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco. 